Chapters thirty six to forty of Dulcibel by Henry Peterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six. When Mistress Dulcibel Burton, in company with Master Philip English and his wife, arrived at Boston Jail and were delivered into the care of Keeper Arnold, they received far better treatment than they had expected. The prison itself, situated in a portion of Boston, which is now considered the centre of fashion and elegance, was one of those cruel bridewells which were a befitting illustration of what some supposed to have been the superior manners and customs of the good old times. It was built of stone, its walls being three feet thick, its windows were barred with iron to prevent escape, but being without glazed sashes, the wind and rain and snow and cold of winter found ready access to the cells within. The doors were covered with the large heads of iron spikes, the cells being formed by partitions of heavy plank, and the passageways of the prison were described by one who had been confined in this Boston bridewell as being like the dark valley of the shadow of death. But the jailers seemed to have been more humane than the builders of the prison, and those awaiting trial especially were frequently allowed rooms in the keeper's house, probably always paying well, however, for the privilege. Thus, as Captain Tolley had said, Captain Alden was confined in Keeper Arnold's house, and when the party in which the readers of this story are especially interested arrived late at night from salem they were taken to comparatively comfortable apartments the jailer knew that master philip english was a very wealthy man and as for dulcibel uncle robbie did not forget to say to his old crony arnold among other favourable things that she not only had warm friends among the best of people of salem but that in her own right she possessed a very pretty little fortune and was fully able to pay a good price for any favours extended to her the magistrates in salem had refused to take bail for captain alden but master english was soon able to make an arrangement by which he and his wife were allowed the freedom of the town in the daytime it being understood that they should return regularly and pass the night in the jail or speaking strictly in the keeper's house for things in boston were different from what they were at salem in salem the puritan spirit reigned supreme in magistrates and in ministers but in boston there was as we have said a strong anti-puritan influence the officials sent over from england were also generally episcopalians and though the present governor sir william phipps was a member of the north church the reverend cotton mather taking the place of his father the reverend increase mather and though the governor was already under the influence of that dogmatic and superstitious divine his wife lady mary was utterly opposed to the whole witchcraft delusion and persecution sir william himself had quite a romantic career starting in life as one of the later offspring of a father and mother who had twenty-six children and had come as poor immigrants to maine he was a simple and ignorant caretaker 
of sheep until eighteen years of age then he became a ship carpenter and at the age of twenty-two went to boston working at his trade in the daytime and learning how to read and write at night in boston he had the good fortune to capture the heart of a fair widow by the name of mistress hull who was daughter of captain robert spencer with her hand he received a fair estate which was the beginning of a large fortune for it enabled him to set up a shipyard of his own and by ventures to recover lost treasure sunk in shipwrecked spanish galleons under the patronage of the duke of ambalal he took back to england at one time the large amount of three hundred thousand pounds in gold silver and precious stones of which his share was sixteen thousand pounds and in addition the gold cup valued at one thousand pounds presented to his wife mary and such was the able conduct and the strict integrity he had shown in the face of many difficulties and temptations that king james knighted him making him sir william now through his own deserts and the influence of the reverend increase mather agent in england of the colony he was governor-in-chief of the province of massachusetts bay and captain-general for military purposes of all new england and he was living in that fair brick house in green lane which years before he had promised his wife that he would some day build for her to live in lady mary was a very sweet nice woman but she had a will of her own and never could be persuaded that sir william's rise in the world was not owing entirely to her having taken pity on him and married below her station and really there was considerable truth in this view of the matter which she was not inclined to have him forget and sir william being a manly and generous though at times rather choleric gentleman generally admitted the truth of her assertion that she had made him rather than have any controversy with her about it one of the first acts of sir william on arriving to fill his position as governor was to order chains put upon all the alleged witches in the prisons in this order might be very plainly traced the hand of his pastor the reverend cotton mather lady mary was outraged by such a command one of her first visits had been to the jail to see captain alden whom she knew well keeper arnold had shown her the order put on the irons said lady mary the jailer did so now that you have obeyed sir william take them off again the jailer smiled but hesitated do as i command you and i will be accountable to sir william very gladly the keeper arnold obeyed he had no faith in such accusations brought against some of the best behaved people he ever had in his charge now do the same to all the other prisoners commanded the spirited lady i may as well be hung for a cow as a cow said the jailer laughing and he went gravely with one pair of fetters all through the cells complying literally with the new governor's orders of course this soon got to the ears of the reverend cotton mather who went in high indignation to the governor but the latter seemed to be very much amused and could not be brought to manifest 
any great amount of indignation you know that lady mary has a will of her own said he to his pastor if you choose to go and talk to her i will take you to her boudoir but i am not anxious to get into hot water for the sake of a few witches the minister thought of it a moment but then concluded wisely not to go for as lady mary said to her husband afterwards i wish that you had brought him to me i would have told him just what i think of him and his superstitious hard-hearted doings for me i never mean to enter north church more i shall go hereafter to south church masters willard and moody have some christian charity left in them i think you are too hard on master cotton mather my dear replied sir william mildly too hard am i what would you say if those girls imps at salem should accuse me next your own loving wife to the world oh my dear wife that is too monstrous even to think of no more monstrous than the acquisition of mistress english of salem and her husband you know them what do you think of that certainly that is very singular and impossible but master mather says master mather ought to be hung himself said the indignant lady for he has helped to murder better people than he is a great deal my dear i must remonstrate and there is captain alden he is a witch too it seems and lady mary laughed scornfully why not you too you are no better a man than captain alden oh the captain shall not be hurt it will not be through any mercy of his judges then but answer my question what will you do if they dare to accuse me answer me that you certainly are not serious lady mary i am perfectly serious i have heard already a whisper from salem that they are thinking of it they even have wished me warned against the consequences of my high-handed proceedings now if they quiet against me what will you do we have said that sir william was naturally choleric though he always put a strong constraint upon himself when talking with his wife whom he really loved but now he started to his feet if they dare to breathe a whisper against you my wife lady mary i will blow the whole concern to perdition confound it madam there are limits to everything she went up to him and put her arm around his neck and kissed him i thought that before they touched me they would have to chain the lion that lies at my door she said proudly and affectionately for notwithstanding these little tiffs she really was fond of her husband and proud of his romantic career but coming back to our sheep dulcibel not having the same amount of wealth and influence behind her as master english had was very well connected at being allowed a room in keeper arnold's house and was on the whole getting along very comfortably master raymond had seen her soon after his arrival but it was in company with the jailer the principal result being that he had secretly passed her a letter and had assured himself that she was not in a suffering condition but things of late were looking brighter for master raymond had made the acquaintance of lady mary through a friend to whom he had letters from england and lady mary had begun to take an interest in dulcibel whom 
she had seen on one of her visits to mistress english through lady mary in some way dulcibel hoped to escape from the prison trusting that if once at large master raymond would be able to provide for her safety but there was one great difficulty she with the others had given her word to the keeper not to escape as the price of her present exemption from confinement in an exposed unhealthy cell how this promise was to be managed neither of them had been able to think of keeper arnold might be approached but dulcibel feared not at least under present circumstances if brought to trial and convicted then to save her life dulcibel thought he might be persuaded to aid her as to breaking her word to the keeper that never entered the mind of the truthful maiden or of her lover death even was more endurable than the thought of dishonour if they had thought of the matter at all but as i have said they never even thought of such a thing and therefore how to manage the affair was a very perplexing question chapter thirty seven one day about this time master raymond was sitting in the porch of the red lion thinking over a sight he had just seen a man had passed by wearing on the back of his drab coat a capital i two inches long cut out of black cloth and sewed upon it on inquiry he found the man had married his deceased wife's sister and both he and the woman had been first whipped and then condemned to wear this letter for the rest of their lives according to the law of the colony master raymond was puzzling over the matter not being able to make out that any real offence had been committed when who should walk up to the porch but master joseph putnam after a hearty hand shaken between the two they retired to master raymond's apartments well how are things getting along at salem oh about as usual any more accusations plenty of them people are beginning to find out that the best way to protect themselves is to sham being afflicted and accuse somebody else i saw that a good while ago and when a girl or woman is accused her relatives and her friends gather around her and implore her to confess to save her life for they have found that not one person who has been accused of being a witch has admitted the fact has been convicted and yet it would seem that a confession of witchcraft ought to be a better proof of it than the mere assertion of possible enemies responded master raymond of course if there was any show of reason or fairness in the prosecutions from first to last but as it is all sheer malice and wickedness on the part of the accusers from the beginning to the end it would be vain to expect any reasonableness or fairness from them we must admit however that there is some delusion in it it would be too uncharitable to believe otherwise said master raymond thoughtfully there might have been at the very first on the part of the children replied master putnam they might have supposed that tituba and friendless sarah good tormented them but since then there has not been more than one part of delusion to twenty parts of wickedness why can any sane man suppose that she wolf sister-in-law of mine does not know she is lying 
when she brings such horrible charges against the best men and women in salem no i give up mistress anne she is possessed by a lying devil admitted master raymond it is well she does not hear that speech said joseph putnam why because up to this time you seem to have managed to soften her heart a little i have tried to i have thought myself justified in playing a part as king david once did you know it is that which brings me here i met her at the house of a friend whom i called to see on some business a day or two ago ah she said to me in that soft purring voice of hers brother joseph i hear that your good friend master raymond is still in boston i answered that i believed he was when he took leave of me she continued i advised him not to stay long in that town as it was often a bad climate for strangers i am sorry he does not take wise counsel then she passed on and out of the house have you any idea what she meant master raymond studied a moment over it in silence then he said it is the first warning of the rattlesnake i suppose how many do they usually give before they spring three the same goes but i guess this rattlesnake cannot be trusted to give more than one i was convinced i saw your brother thomas as i came ashore from the storm king the other day ah that explains it then she understands it all then she understands it all now just as well as if you had told her but why should she pursue so fiendishly an innocent girl like dulcibel who is not conscious of ever having offended her why do tigers slay and scorpions sting because it is in their nature i suppose replied master putnam philosophically because mistress dulcibel openly ridiculed and denounced her and the whole witchcraft business and you will note that there has not been a single instance of this being done that the circle of accusers have not seemed maddened to frenzy yes there has been one case your own that is true because i am thomas putnam's brother and dupe and tall as he is of that she-wolf and though there is no great amount of love lost between us still i am his brother and that protects me besides they know that it is as much any two men's lives are worth to attempt to arrest me and then you think there is no special enmity against dulcibel i have not said so jethro sands hates her because she refused him lee herrick wants her driven away because she herself wants to marry jethro and fears jethro might after all succeed in getting dulcibel and sister anne hates her because well because what oh it seems too egotistical to say it because she knows she is one of my dear friends she must dislike you very much then she does why oh there is no good reason at the first she was inclined to like me but i always knew she was a cold-blooded snake and she-wolf and i would have nothing to do with her then when brother thomas began to sink his manhood and become the mere dupe and tool of a scheming woman i remonstrated with him i think friend raymond that i am as chivalrous as any man ought to be i admire a woman in her true place as much as any man and would fight and die for her 
but for these men that forget their manhood these mark antonies who yield up their sound reason and their manly strength to the wiles and tears and charms of selfish and ambitious cleopatras i have nothing but contempt there are plenty of them around in all ages of the world and they generally glory in their shame of course brother thomas did not enjoy very much my mean opinion of his conduct and as for sister anne she has never forgiven me and never will and so you think she hates dulcibel mainly because you love her that is about the shape of it said master putnam dryly that dulcibel feels for me the affection of a sister only intestifies my sister-in-law's aversion to her but then you see that merely on the general principle of denouncing all who set themselves in opposition to the so-called afflicted circle dulcibel would be accused of witchcraft well for my part i think the whole affair can only be accounted for as being a piece of what we men of the world who do not belong to any church call devilishness said master raymond hotly you see responded master putnam what you men of the world have to come to the same conclusion that we church members do you impute to the devilishness and we to being possessed by the devil it is about the same thing and now give me an idea of your latest plans perhaps i can forward them in some way either here or at salem chapter thirty eight all this time the undercurrent of opposition to these criminal proceedings against the alleged witches was growing stronger at boston the reverend samuel willard and joshua moody both ministers of undoubted orthodoxy from the puritan standpoint did not scruple to visit the accused in the keeping of jailer arnold and sympathized openly with them captain ongden and master philip english and his wife especially were persons of too great wealth and reputation not to have many sympathizing friends on the other hand the great majority of the puritans under the lead of the reverend cotton mather and the two salem ministers parish and noise were determined that the prosecution should go on until the witches those children of the evil one were thoroughly cast out even if half of their congregations should have to be hung by the other half at a recent trial in salem one of the afflicted had even gone so far as to cry out against the reverend master willard but the court it seemed was not quite ready for that for the girl was sent out of court being told that she must have mistaken the person when this was reported to master willard it by no means tended to lessen his growing belief that the prosecutions were inspired by evil spirits of course in this condition of things the position of the governor sir william phipps became a master of the first importance as he owed his office mainly to the influence of the reverend increased mather and sat under the weekly ministrations of his learned son cotton mather the witch prosecutors had a very great hold upon him with a good natural intellect sir william had received a very scanty education and was therefore much impressed by the prodigious attainments of such men as the two mathers to differ with them on a theological matter seemed to him rather presumptuous 
if they did not know what was sound in theology and right in practice why was there any use in having ministers at all or who could be expected to be certain of anything then if sir william turned to the law he was met by an almost unanimous array of lawyers and judges who endorsed the witchcraft prosecution chief justice stoughton honest and learned judge sewell and nearly all the rest of the judiciary were sure of the truth in this matter not one magistrate could be found in the whole province to decide as a sensible english judge is reported by tradition to have done in the case of an old woman who at last acknowledged in the feebleness of her confused intellect that she was a witch and in the habit of riding about on a broomstick well as i know of no law that forbids old women riding about on broomsticks if they fancy that mode of conveyance you are discharged but there was not one magistrate at that time wise or learned enough to make such a sensible decision in the whole of new england thus with the almost unanimous bar and the great preponderance of the clergy advising him to pursue a certain course sir william undoubtedly would have followed it had he not been a man whose sympathies naturally were with sea captains military officers and other men of the world and moreover if he had not a wife herself the daughter of a sea captain who was an utter disbeliever in her accused friends being witches and who had moreover a very strong will of her own of course if the governor should come to lady mary's opinion the prosecutions might as well be abandoned for with a stroke of his pen he could remit the sentences of all the convicted persons left to himself and lady mary he doubtless would have done this but he wished to continue in his office and to be a successful governor and he knew that to array himself against the prosecution and punishment of the alleged witches was to displease the great majority of the people of the province including as i have shown the most influential persons in fact it was simply to retire from his government in disgrace all this the reverend cotton mather represented to sir william with much else of a less worldly but no doubt still more effective character based upon various passages of the old testament rather than upon anything corresponding to them in the new and so the prosecutions and convictions went on but the further executions waited upon the governor's decision chapter thirty nine it was a thursday afternoon and the afflicted circle was having one of its informal meetings at the house of mistress ann putnam at these meetings the latest developments were talked over and all the scandal of the neighbourhood and even of boston and other towns gathered and discussed thus in the examination of captain alden in addition to the material charges of witchcraft against him which i have noted were entirely irrelevant slander of the grossest kind against his moral character which the afflicted girls must have gathered from very low and vulgar sources the only man present on this occasion was jethro sands and the girls especially lee herrick could not but wonder who now was to be cried out against that jethro was brought into their councils it is a curious natural instinct which leads every faculty 
even the basest to crave more food in proportion to the extent in which it has been already gratified in the first place the afflicted girls no doubt had their little spites revenges and jealousies to indulge but afterwards they seemed to cry out against those of whom they hardly knew anything either to oblige another of the party or to punish for unexpressed disbelief in their sincerity or even out of the mere wantonness of power to do evil mistress ann putnam opened the serious business of the afternoon after an hour or so had been spent in gossip and tale-bearing by an account of some recent trouble of hers a few nights ago said she i awakened in the middle of the night with choking and strangling i knew at once that a new evil hand was upon me for the torment was different from any i have ever experienced i thought the hand that grasped me around the throat would have killed me and there was a heavy weight upon my breast so that i could hardly breathe i clutched at the thing that pressed upon my breast and it felt hard and bony like a horse's hoof and it was a horse by the faint moonlight i saw it was the wild black familiar that belongs to the snake-marked witch dulcibel burton but the hand that grasped my throat was the strong hand of a man i caught a sight of his face i knew it well but i pity him so much that i hesitate to reveal it i feel as if i would almost rather soften myself than accuse so fine a young man as he seemed to be of such wicked conduct but it appears to me that it is your duty to expose him mistress putnam said geoffrey sands i know the young man whose spectre you saw for he and that black witch of a mare seem to be making their nightly rounds together they afflicted me the other night the same way i flung them off and i asked him what he meant by acting in that way and he said he was a lover of the witch dulcibel who was one of the queens of hell i might know that by the snake mark on her bosom and she had told him that he must afflict all those who had testified against her and she would lend him her familiar the black mare to help him to do it by this time even the dullest of the girls of course saw very plainly who was being aimed at but mistress putnam added upon learning that master jethro had also been afflicted by this person i had very little doubt that i should find the guilty young man had been doing the same to all of you but we have seen heretofore that when these witches attack one of us they attack all hating all for the same reason that we expose and denounce them i may add that i have also heard that the young man in question is now in boston doing all he can in aid of the snake witch dulcibel burton and representing all of us to lady mary phipps and other influential persons as being untruthful and malicious accusers of innocent people here she turned to one who had always been her right hand as it were and said i suppose you have been tormented in the same way dear abigail anne putnam her daughter however that precocious and unimaginable girl of twelve here broke in i think my mother is entirely mistaken i was treated just the same way about a week ago but it was not the spectre of master raymond at all it was the spectre of another man 
whom i never saw before it was not at all like master raymond and i for one will not join in crying out against him in those old times parents were treated with a much greater show at least of respect and veneration than they are at present and therefore mistress putnam was greatly shocked at her daughter's language but her daughter was well known to all present as an exceptional child being very forward and self-wild and therefore her mother simply said i had not expected such unkind behaviour from you anne master raymond has been very kind to all of us you know has given us pretty things and has promised to send us all presents when he gets back from england and i have heard you and father both say that the putnams always stand up for their friends this reference to the promised presents from england evidently told all round the circle they had nothing to gain by crying out against master raymond they had something to gain by not doing it besides he was a very handsome young man who had tried to make himself agreeable to almost all of them as he had opportunity and though dulcibel's beauty went for nothing in their eyes a young man's good looks and gallant bearing were something entirely different and so abigail williams and mary walcott and mercy lewis and lee herrick and sarah churchill and elizabeth hubbard all had the same tale to tell with suitable variations as young anne putnam had they were certainly that the face of the spectre was not the face of master raymond but of some person they had never before seen mercy lewis and sarah churchill in fact were inclined to think it was the face of satan himself and they all wondered very much that mistress putnam could have mistaken such an old and ugly face for that of the comely young englishman as for lee herrick she did not care in her secret heart if master raymond were in love with dulcibel so that he would only take her out of the country where there was no danger of jethro's seeing her any more all her belief that dulcibel was a witch was based upon jealousy and now that it was utterly improbable that jethro would ever turn his thoughts in that direction again she had no hard feeling towards her while as she also had reason to expect a handsome present from england she did not share in the least jethro's bitterness against the young englishman but although mistress putnam was thus utterly foiled in her effort to enlist the inflicted circle in her support she was not the woman to give up her settled purpose on that account she knew well that she was a host in herself so far as the magistrates were concerned and having jethro sands to join her it made up the two witnesses that were absolutely necessary by the law of massachusetts as of moses the afflicted circle might not aid her but it was not likely that they would openly revolt and take part against her in public and so she went the very next morning in company with that obedient tall her husband and jethro sands to the office of squire hathorne and got him to issue a warrant for the arrest of master ellis raymond on the usual charge of practising witchcraft chapter forty master raymond having obtained an introduction to the governor's wife lady mary lost no time in endeavouring to cultivate the enmities of life so far as that very influential person was concerned 
he had paid the most deferential court to her on several occasions where he had been able to meet her socially and had impressed the governor's lady very favorably as being an unusually handsome well-bred and highly cultivated young man a comely and high-spirited lady of forty she was better pleased to be the recipient of the courteous and deferential attentions of a young englishman of good connections like master raymond than even to listen to the wise and weighty counsel of so learned a man as master cotton mather only in the last minutes of their last meeting however when handing her ladyship to her carriage did master raymond feel at liberty to ask her if he could have a short private interview with her the next morning she looked a little surprised and then said of course master raymond at what hour would suit your ladyship at twelve precisely i have an engagement at one and the carriage drove off a minute or two before twelve master raymond was at the governor's house in green lane and was duly admitted as one expected and shown into her ladyship's boudoir now come right to the point master raymond and tell me what i can do for you said her ladyship smiling if i can help you i will if i cannot or must not i shall say so at once and you must continue to be just as good a friend to me as ever i promise that to your ladyship replied the young man earnestly he really liked and admired lady mary very much is it love or money young men always want one of these your ladyship is as quick-witted in this as in everything else well which is it love ah who mistress dulcibel burton what not the girl with the snake mark raymond bowed his head very low in answer lady mary laughed she is a witch then it seems for she has bewitched you we are betrothed to each other only a few days before that absurd and lying charge was made against her and her horse her black mare that upset the reverend master paris into the duck pond and then went up into the clouds and as master cotton mather solemnly assured me has never been seen or heard of since what of it where is it really in an out-of-the-way place up in master joseph putnam's woods replied the young man smiling and you are certain of it as certain as riding the mare for about ten miles will warrant master mather assured me that no man except perhaps satan or one of his imps could ride her then i must be satan or one of his imps i suppose how did you manage it i put a side saddle on the beast and a woman's skirt on myself the lady laughed outright oh that is too good it reminds me of what sir william often says anything can be done if you know how to do it i must tell it to him he will enjoy it so much and it will be a good thing to plague master mather with please do not tell any one just now protested the young man earnestly it may bring my good friend joseph putnam into trouble and it would only make them all angrier than they are with dulcibel dulcibel that is a strange name it is latin is it not i judge so it is a family name i suppose there is italian blood in the family at least mistress dulcibel looks it she does she is very beautiful a kind of strange fascinating beauty i do not wonder she bewitched you 
Was that serpent mark too from Italy? I think it very likely. Perhaps she is descended from Cleopatra, and that is the mark left by the serpent on the famous queen's breast. I think it exceedingly probable, said Master Raymond. My readers will have observed before this that he was an exceedingly polite and politic young man. Well, and so you want me to get Mistress Dulcibel, this witch descendant of that famous old witch Cleopatra, out of prison. I hoped that, from the well-known kindness of heart of your ladyship, you would be able to do something for us. You see, the difficulty is simply here. I know that all these charges of witchcraft against such good, nice people as Captain Alden, Master and Mistress English, will be trothed Dulcibel, and a hundred others are mere bigotry and superstition at the best, and sheer spite and maliciousness at the worst. But what can I do? Sir William owes his position to the Reverend Increase Mather, and, besides, not being a greatly learned man himself, is more impressed than he ought to be by the learning of the ministers and the lawyers. I tell him that a learned fool is the greatest fool alive, but still he is much puzzled. If he does not conform to the wishes of the ministers and the judges, who are able to lead the great majority of the people in any direction they choose, he will lose his position as governor. Now, while this is not so much in itself, it will be a bar to his future advancement, for preferment does not often seek the men who fail, even when they fail from having superior wisdom and nobleness to the multitude. It was evident that Sir William and Lady Mary had talked over this witchcraft matter and its bearing upon its position a good many times, and Master Raymond saw very clearly the difficulties of the case. And still, if the robe of the governor can only continue to be worn by dyeing it with innocent blood, I think that a man of the natural greatness and ability of Sir William would not hesitate as to his decision. But a new governor in his place might do worse. Yes, he might easily do that. When it comes to taking more lives by his order, then he will decide upon his course. So far he is temporizing, said the lady. And Dulcibel? She is not suffering, was the reply. Oh, if only I could say the same, for of the poor old women and poor young women who lie in those cold and loathsome cells, innocent of any crime whatever against God or against man, I should not feel it all here so heavily. And Lady Mary pressed her hand against her heart. But we are not responsible for it. I have taken off every chain and do all I dare while Sir William shuts his eyes to my unlawful doings. Will you aid her to escape? Should her life be in danger? You told me to speak out frankly and to the point. The lady hesitated only for a moment. I will do all I can, even to put in my own life in peril, when something must be done. Come to me again, and now judge me and Sir William kindly, knowing that we are not despots, but compelled to rule somewhat in accordance with the desires of those whom we have been sent here to govern. Lady Mary extended her hand. The young man took it, as he might have taken the hand of his sovereign queen, and pressed it with his lips. Then he bowed himself out of the boudoir. End of chapters 36 to 40